So kids, I have a scripture for you. I don't have a ram's horn to show you this week. Um, did y'all like that ram's horn? Yeah, maybe I'll practice blowing it, and then one, one day, maybe next year, maybe I'll practice all year, and next year, I'll bring that ram's horn, and I'll blow it for you. Okay, how about that? Did you like that? Okay. Well, I don't have a ram horn for you this week to show you, but I do have a scripture to share with you. And it's uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So listen to what the Bible says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you guys know that there was a time when you could not come into the presence of God? Did you kids know that? Did you know that we were created to live in the presence of God, but then Adam sinned, and we became separated from God? And then God gave the law to Moses. Remember Moses? He's the guy that that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And when they were on their way from Egypt to the promised land, took them 40 years to get there, but while they were on their way, God gave them laws And one of those things that he gave them was to keep a feast every year. Actually, there were seven feasts he told them to keep every year, like special days, kind of like we celebrate Christmas or we celebrate Easter. These were special days. And actually, today at sunset begins one of those special days. It was called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, it was the only day of the year that the priest could, the high priest, just one priest One special priest each year could go behind a veil and come into the presence of God. And he would bring a sacrifice, and he would do this at this feast day every year. But guess what happened? Jesus came. And when Jesus came, Jesus died for us, shed his blood for us, and the blood of Jesus now makes it possible for us to come into the presence of God anytime we want. In fact, better than that, the blood of Jesus applied to your life means that you live in the presence of God and that you will eternally dwell in his presence. And this is what Hebrews 4.16 is telling us. It says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do any of you guys ever need help? Do any of you kids ever need help? You do? Well, do you know God says that you can go to him anytime and that you should go to him all the time that you need help, but not just when you need help, you should go to him and to just thank him because he helps us every day, all the time in ways that we don't even realize. Do you believe that? Do you know that? He does. But sometimes we know we need help, and instead of trying to help ourselves or get someone else to help us, we should always go to God first, and God will give us, the Bible says, grace to help in time of need. Now, that might mean that God gives you wisdom to do your homework, means that God might give you grace to obey your parents even when you don't want to. It might mean that God helps you get through a really hard time in your life 
and because you don't know how you're going to get through it on your own. But Jesus has made a way where there was no way. He's made a way for us to come into the presence of God and find the grace to help in time of need. And that is good news. Amen? All right. Well, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that you give to us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, today as we look into your word, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds, that you would reveal Christ to us, that you would illuminate this word. And this word that we hear today, this word that we read today, this word that we plant in our heart today, that it would change us and transform us by the renewing of our mind, that you would be glorified through our lives, that you would be made known through our witness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so today at sunset begins what's called the Feast of Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. In the Day of Atonement, remember we talked about the Feast of Trumpets last week. And the Day of Atonement is on the 10th day of the 7th month of the Jewish calendar. And the Day of Atonement is the day that God judged the sins of his people. So this was when God would judge the sins of the nation. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And we'll talk a little bit about that earthly tabernacle in just a moment. And he would take the blood of the sacrifice, he would apply it to the mercy seat, and if God received that sacrifice, the priest would come back out from the holy place and he would appear to the people. And when the priest appeared, after they watched him go in, when he came back out, the people would know that God accepted the sacrifice and that the sins of the nation were atoned for once again. But they had to do this every year. And so the Day of Atonement is this feast that God tells Israel, commanded Israel to keep forever. It's a statute forever. And so each year this had to be done to atone for the sins of the nation. In addition to that, there were the personal sins that people committed and they had to bring their sacrifices to the temple, to the priest for their own personal sins. They had to bring their offerings for worship uh, to the Lord. So there was this constant coming before the Lord in worship, constant in coming before the Lord in repentance and offering these things. And it was the blood of animals, bulls and goats and turtle doves, that were offered. But that was never what God wanted, and that was never what God intended. These were not meant to be forever statutes. They were temporary. Leviticus 16, I'm going to read some scripture from Leviticus that introduces to us this feast of atonement or the day of atonement. Leviticus 16 verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron Aaron was Moses' brother. Aaron was a priest. His sons were priests, so the Aaronic priesthood descends from Aaron. And so in Israel, it was only the sons of Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, that were priests before the Lord. 
So Aaron's sons, his two sons, were priests, but they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Then we, we go down to verse 29 of that chapter. And in between the verse 2 and verse 29 is a lot of detail about this feast and about what they're to wear and what they're to bring and all of that. We get down to verse 29. And God says to Moses, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. That means you're going to fast. And do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So this was God's commandment for the children of Israel. This was God instituting what's known as the Day of Atonement. For Israel, for Jews, that feast begins today at sunset. So Orthodox Jews all over the world at sunset today will begin a fast. They will begin to afflict their souls. It's the only, it's the only day that God commands them to fast. And there were grave consequences for those children of Israel who did not keep the fast. Now, let's go to the New Testament to see the fulfillment of this feast, and that's found in Hebrews chapter 9. So remember, what's the best interpretation of the Bible? The Bible. So I want you to listen closely as I read these scriptures. Now, if you will uh, give me grace, what I'm going to do as we read through these scriptures, I'm going to also talk through these scriptures. Hebrews chapter 9. I apologize. I have a sore from a chip, and I'm having a hard time uh, with my diction today. So I'm going to have to talk very slowly so that I don't sound like I'm slurring my words. why you should always very carefully and slowly eat your chips because <laughs> you never know when they might cause trouble for you. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the first three verses. Now, now let me give you this. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. The Bible's all about Jesus. <laughs> But in particular, the book of Hebrews, this letter was written to Hebrew Jewish believers who were living in Italy after the resurrection of Jesus, before the destruction of the 
second temple. So this is somewhere post-resurrection, before 70 A.D. And more than likely, this, this letter was written probably in the 60s, and somewhere prior to A.D. 60, but before A.D. 70. It was before the Jewish War, so it was probably somewhere between 60 and 66, somewhere in there. This letter was written to Jews living in Italy who wanted to go back to Jerusalem. These were Jewish believers. These were followers of Christ. They'd accepted Christ as their, as their Messiah, but now they decided they wanted to go back to Italy, I mean, go back to Jerusalem from Italy and sacrifice at the temple and go back and keep the law of Moses and offer sacrifices. And the whole letter to the Hebrews is written to these Jewish believers, explaining to them, reinforcing to them that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is now our great high priest. And the blood of Jesus is the only blood that can atone for our sins. And that it was never the blood of bulls and goats or turtle doves that God was wanting or pleased with. What God always wanted was our obedience. What God always wanted was our heart. That system of sacrifice was not just the measure of our heart and our obedience, but it was to show Israel, it was to show the people of God that they were incapable of keeping that law perfectly. That no matter how hard they tried, no matter how perfectly they thought they kept the law, they needed a savior. They needed someone and something other than themselves, something greater than themselves. Through their life, they could not please God and keep the law perfectly in that way. So they needed the life of another. What did Abel bring to God? The life of another. What did Cain bring to God? The works of his hands. And God did not respect Cain's offering, but he received Abel's. Because one brought his own works and one brought the life of another. Why did it, why was it counted as to Abraham as righteousness? Because he believed God. And who did Abraham depend upon? He depended upon the life of another. So we see this theme throughout the scripture. And when you get to the, to the book of Hebrews, it is this wonderful, grand ex, exposition of Jesus, our great high priest, who keeps the law, who atones for our sin, who is our only hope. When we get to Hebrews chapter 9, which we're getting ready to read, the writer of Hebrews is giving us imagery of the Day of Atonement. It, it is the feast day of Yom Kippur. It is the Day of Atonement that is being laid out here in Hebrews chapter 9. So let's begin in chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed... Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, 
the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Now, I wish I had a diagram for you, but I want you to, to think about this. Just think about a piece of paper. Think about the outline of this paper being the tabernacle, the sanctuary. So the tabernacle had this big cloth or linen curtain fence. Don't think of a little flimsy fence. It was a very robust fence, but it was curtain. And it was 150 feet by 75 feet rectangle. And within that curtain fence, and there was one entrance into it, a veil right here. And you go through that first veil, and there was an altar. And then there was a laver. And then there was this tent. And this tent was 15 feet wide by 45 feet long. And in this 15 feet by 45 foot tent, the first section was... 15 feet by 30 feet. Then there was, there was a veil. You walk, you walk through the second veil. You've come through the curtain fence. You're in this big courtyard. You walk through the second veil, and you're in a 15 by 30 room. And inside that room, when you walk in, there's a table with loaves of bread on it. And there is a menorah, a lampstand with seven lamps on this side. And then in front of you is another altar. It's called the altar of incense. And it's where the priest would bring the incense and the smoke of the incense represented the prayers of God's people. And behind that altar of incense was another veil. Now, I don't want you to think little veil. I want you to think a veil that was thicker than your hand. And this tent, this 15 by 45 foot tent, had multiple layers of animal skins and linen and fabric. It was waterproof, so it could rain on it on the outside and no water would get on the inside. No wind was blowing in. It was completely sealed from the elements, which meant that the only light inside that sanctuary was the light from that menorah. So in that 15 by 30 foot first section called the sanctuary, or the holies, the holy place, was this table of bread, this lampstand giving light, and then an altar of incense with incense burning. Behind that altar was another veil with cherubim embroidered on the fabric, representing the two cherubim that were at the Garden of Eden, guarding the tree of life, guarding the presence of God. And behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of the Ark was the mercy seat. Two cherubim with their heads bowed and the wings outstretched, almost touching. And between the wings of the cherubim is where the presence of God dwelt. There was no light inside the Holy of Holies. The Lord was its light. So the presence of the Lord inside that Holy of Holies Dwelling between the wings of the cherubim, that was the light that was inside of there. And that's where God dwelt among his people in the tabernacle. The priest went into the holy place where the table of bread and the lamp 
and the incense where they went into their daily offering prayers. Daily, they brought new loaves of bread. Daily, they made sure the lamp never went out. They filled it with oil, making sure that the lamps never stopped burning. They made sure that the incense never stopped ascending. The prayers of God's people never stopped ascending to God. But they never, ever went behind that third veil. First veil into the courtyard, second veil into the sanctuary, third veil into the Holy of Holies. They never, ever went into that 15 by 15 room where the Ark of the Covenant was. Only once a year was the high priest, not any priest, only the high priest. Once a year was he allowed to go and he was commanded to go once a year and take the blood of the sacrifice. We don't have time to go into it today, but it's very, it's very detailed. It, it's amazing the, the picture it gives us of Jesus Christ. And he took the blood of that sacrifice and he applies it to the mercy seat for the sins of the nation. And so now Israel is watching the priest go in and they're watching to see if the priest comes out. Because when the priest goes in to take the blood of sacrifice, he goes in for sin, having applied the blood, if God accepts it, he's going to come back out apart from sin. Because when he comes back out and he appears to the people again, it's this, it signifies that God accepted the sacrifice and the sins of the nation have been atoned for. And then next year, same day, 10th day of the seventh month, the high priest goes in again. So every year on the Day of Atonement, this is what the priest would do. And this was the earthly sanctuary. That tent inside that courtyard of that curtain fence, that tent, that 15 by 45 tent divided into two spaces, a 15 by 30 sanctuary with the bread, the lamp, and the incense, and then that curtain into a 15 by 15 room where the presence of God dwelt. And no one went into there except the high priest once a year. And this was the warning we just read in, in, in Leviticus 16. If you go in there any other time, anyone else goes in there, you will die because that is where the presence of God dwelt. And so what was it that allowed the high priest to go in one time a year, the grace of God. It's not that God's presence wouldn't kill him. It's that God does not kill him. It's not that the priest is suddenly holy that day of the year. He's not holy. He's sinful. He's fleshly. He's a man, a sinful man. It is not anything that the priest has that allows him to come into the presence of God. It is only the grace of God that allows the sinful priest to come in. Now, the priest has done everything that God told him to do. He's washed himself. He's got the blood. He's got the right clothes on. He's done everything he's supposed to do. But, but all of those external things don't make him holy because all of those external things can't cleanse his heart. They can't give him a new heart and a new spirit. What allows that priest to come in one day a year once a year, and not die in the presence of God is the grace of God. You get where I'm going? 
What allows us to come boldly before the throne of grace? What allows us to dwell and to live in the presence of God? Is it anything in us? Is it our goodness? Is it our holiness? Is it our good works? Is it because we dress right and talk right? And No. Do you know what allows you to dwell in the presence of God with boldness, with confidence? It is the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ. When that priest goes into that holy of holies, he's taking the blood of a goat to apply to the mercy seat and it atoned for the sins of the nation for a year. But it doesn't really atone for them. It covers them, but it doesn't take them away. John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of Jews, but the sin of Gentiles also. The sin of the world. And so this is the earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. Why? Because that's where the presence of God dwelt. Let's go down to verse 6. Hebrews 9, verse 6. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, in other words, God gave Moses all these instructions. They literally had to build this tabernacle. They had to weave the curtains. They had to cut the boards. They had to forge the silver rings and the gold rings and the brass rings. And they had to make all the things that... that made this portable tabernacle what it was. And when it was all prepared and it was all erected and put up, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance." Because the sins they committed willfully, knowingly, the implication there is they've already brought their animal to the priest for that sin to be atoned for. So you didn't wait once a year and say, well, I'm depending on the high priest to take the blood to atone for my sins. No, those are just the sins that you committed and you didn't know that you committed. The sins you know you committed when you offend your brother or your mother or your cousin, or your best friend, or whoever, or when you sin against God and you know you've sinned against God and you've broken his commandments, you are commanded, God gave the law to Moses and you knew exactly what you needed to do. You knew what type of animal you needed to take and, and you would offer that as a sin offering so that your sins, your, the sins you knew you committed were, were atoned for. But this, once a year, was for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made. It was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So you, you see what's happening here. So 
Because who could go? The high priest could go once a year. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is the Holy Spirit indicating that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. It was symbolic. What was the first tabernacle? It was symbolic. Okay, so Israel has a tabernacle for uh, a, a thousand years. They're using the tabernacle. Then David comes along, and David has a vision of building a temple. But God says, you can't do it because you're a man of blood. I'll let Solomon, your son, build the temple. And then Solomon builds the temple. And the first temple was built, and they no longer used the tabernacle. They used the temple. But the temple is constructed just the way the tabernacle was. You had the same setup. You had the first room, the sanctuary, with the same furnishings. They took the furnishings from the tabernacle, and they put them in the temple. And you had the Holy of Holies, the same thing. It just was a permanent structure now in Jerusalem. But guess what? It's just as symbolic as the tabernacle was. Then that temple was destroyed by Babylonians because of Israel's sinfulness. And God in his grace sent them back to Jerusalem. And they built a second temple. Same format, same dimensions, everything. They have about 500 years. And then that temple is destroyed by Romans. And guess what's never been rebuilt? An earthly sanctuary. Which should get us to question, well, why hasn't God rebuilt the temple again if it was destroyed 2,000 years ago? It's, it was symbolic. Well, what was it symbolic of? It was symbolic for the present time. Present time, not present time here. Present time, the guy writing the letter. Paul or Barnabas, whoever wrote this letter. Present time, 66 AD, post-resurrection, pre-destruction of the temple. What are all these things, this tabernacle, all this furniture? What is all this? It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot, cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Jesus on the sermon, at his Sermon on the Mount. I say to you, it's not enough to not commit adultery, but if you look at a woman with lust in your heart. I say it's not enough to not commit murder, but if you say of your brother in your heart, you have murdered him. Well, I can do all these outward things, but I can't do anything about my heart. But God can. This was all symbolic. Because these offerings in this tabernacle or in those temples could not make the one who performed the service perfect in regard to, to the conscience. Concerned only food and drink, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time, until the time of reformation. Imposed until the time. The appointed time. What time is that? The, the time in which Jesus would come and reform or fulfill all things. Imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not 
made with hands. What tabernacle might that be? Or as Jesus said, tear this temple down and in in, in I will rebuild it in three days. And they said, you're crazy, Jesus. It took almost 50 years. It took 46 years to build this. Jesus said, I'll rebuild it in three days. And the Bible tells us he spoke concerning his body, his resurrected body. What is the tabernacle? What is the perfect tabernacle made without hands? Not made with hands? It's Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus. What was the tabernacle? It was symbolic. What were all the things that went on in the tabernacle? They were symbolic of what would ultimately come at the point in time, the time of Reformation. They existed until the time of Reformation. But they only spoke of Christ. But Christ came as the high priest with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That's the tabernacle of his resurrected body. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. How often did the high priest have to go? Once a year, every year. How often did people have to take their animals to be sacrificed for their sins? As often as they sinned, they had to take an animal. And what that was all meant to do was to show people the futility of trying to be righteous in your own works because it's impossible. And God knew it was impossible for them, and God gave it to them knowing that it would be impossible for them because God never wanted... Men to trust in their own righteousness, in their own ability. God wants us to trust in him. It was all symbolic until Christ came and brought to us the perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. When he entered in with his own blood, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption, not annual redemption, but eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Why have you been cleansed? To serve the living God. You have not been cleansed so that you can just go to heaven one day. The Bible says you have been cleansed to serve the living God. And you don't serve the living God one day when you get to heaven. You serve him right now. This is our time of visitation on planet earth. This is your time. We're all at different points of our journey. But this is our time of visitation. And the scripture says you've been cleansed to serve the living God. When should that service begin? Right now. Where does that service take place? Wherever you are. Well, what, what do I do in that service? Whatever you've put your hands to, that's how you serve him.
And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. His death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of the internal of the eternal inheritance. Those who are called. Do you hear my voice today? You are called. Are you trusting in Jesus today? You are called. I didn't say, and the Bible doesn't say you're perfect. It says he's perfect. It doesn't say you're perfect, but it does say you're cleansed. And out of that cleansing, you are to serve him. And he has made a way for you to serve him where there was no way before. Let's skip down to verse 22. Hebrews 9, 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified by blood. Isn't that funny? I mean, literally, the priest would take blood and sprinkle it, and God would say, now it's clean because it's got blood on it. When we get blood on something, we, we got the bleach out, and we're trying to disinfect it. And God says, no. My blood cleanses. Yes, our blood contaminates, but his blood cleanses. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things, there it is again, the copies of the things in the heavens, where are the copies? They're on earth. The things on earth, the tabernacle, the temples, were copies of the things in the heavens. That's why there's never going to be another temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, because Jesus is the temple, and he's coming back, and he's going to rule and reign on this earth. And even the Bible says there is no temple in the new Jerusalem, for the Lamb is the temple. And guess what we are? We are living stones being built up a holy habitation. God is building his city. God is building his people. God is building his church. His bride is making herself ready. All these things that were on the earth, the tabernacle, all those ordinances, all those laws, were copies of the things in the heavens. And all of those copies on earth had to be purified with blood. But the heavenly things themselves must be purified with better sacrifices than these. Jesus did not take the blood of a goat up into heaven to atone for the sins of his people. He took his very own blood because he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. He is the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb who took his own blood, not into an earthly. Do you know Jesus never went into the holy place? Jesus never went even into that first section of the temple, the 30 by 15, where the showbread and the lamp and the altar of incense, Jesus never went into there because he didn't have an earthly right to go into there because he was of the wrong tribe. He was of the tribe of Judah, not of the tribe of Aaron. Only the priest of Aaron could go in there. But do you know what Hebrews tells us? That Jesus is of a priesthood greater than Aaron. His is a priesthood of Melchizedek. No beginning, no end. We don't know where he came from. We know where he went. He went to the presence of God. And God created in the new creation a new priesthood. Do you know what the Bible calls you? First Peter, 
Revelation says you are a royal priesthood. It says you are kings and priests unto God. We're not descendants of Aaron, but we are children of God through Jesus Christ, and that makes us priests. That gives us a right to not only go into the sanctuary, but to go behind the veil into the very holy of holies into the presence of God. That veil doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages... The end of the ages, the writer is talking about, he's writing this 2,000 years ago. You do understand this, right? The end of the ages he's talking about was the end of the Jewish age, which ended in reality with the destruction of the temple. Because with the destruction of the temple, they could not keep the law. They could not do the sacrifice. They could not fulfill the law of Moses as God commanded. And why did God do that? Because those were symbolic. Those were copies. And what did God do? God took away the copy so that we would get our eye, because he knows we're human. He knows that we would be focused on a copy, and we still have people today focused on the copy. They write books about the copy. They're waiting for the copy to get rebuilt. And God says, why are you waiting for a copy to be, re be rebuilt when I've already resurrected and I've already erected the living temple, the tabernacle made without hands? Why are you looking for a temple made with hands when I've already erected the tabernacle made without hands? My son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God says, I'm going to take that copy away so that you can't Put your eyes on that anymore. It doesn't even exist anymore. It's not there. You, you, you only can see it in your imagination, and you see how vain our imaginations are when we're more fixated on copies instead of originals, instead of the true and the heavenly. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest in the most holy place did every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He has put away sin why do you keep calling to remembrance your sin? Why do you keep calling to remembrance your past failures when God doesn't call those to remembrance? If you've repented of those things, if you've given those things to God, then put them where God has put them. Put them away. Cast them into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west because that's what God has done with your sin. When you bring your sin to God, he puts it away. It's dead. It's buried. Don't dig it up. Don't carry it around with you. Now, if you haven't given that sin to God, if you haven't repented of it, then do that. But once you give it to God, 
Once you confess and you repent and you give it to him, you leave it. Let the dead remain dead. Let that which has been taken away, let it remain away. And you keep moving forward in the life and the grace and the mercy given to you in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did. He appeared and he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time from sin for salvation. So do you see this? The way was not yet made. And Jesus came and he made a way where there was no way. He made for us, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Listen to this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. We, we today have boldness to enter the holiest. That place where God said to Aaron, or to Moses, you tell Aaron if he goes in there, other than the appointed day, he'll die. But now Jesus has come, and he has made a way where there was no way. Not only has he given us permission to go through the veil, he has removed the veil. It's taken away. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. With the coming of Jesus, God made a way where there was no way. Jesus is the way. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way into the presence of God. And now that he has made a way, he has opened that way. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross, the Gospels tell us. And the tearing of the veil signified the tearing of his flesh that opened the way for us to come into the very presence of God with boldness and with confidence. Jesus died and offered up his lifeblood to make that new and living way into God's presence possible for all of God's people. How often does Jesus have to do this? He did it once for all. Under the system of the law, sin offerings were constantly being offered, annually being offered at feasts. But Jesus, once for all, the blood of Christ has been applied once for all. We do not pay for our sin. Christ paid once for all. You cannot pay for your sin. This is why penance is so horrible. To think that you can add to the atoning blood of Jesus and, 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 and contribute to your 
Atonement? No. You don't have to pay for your sin. Jesus paid for your sin. You should be sorry for your sin. You should repent of your sin. But all you can do is take your sin to Jesus because only Jesus and only his blood can atone for it. Repentance is not penance. Repentance is to turn your mind, to turn your heart, to turn yourself away from sin and turn it to God and give your sin to God. Christ entered into the holy place once for all his people. The earthly high priest had to enter the holiest place once each year for all the people. But Christ only once for all. Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands. He never went into the holy places of the temple. He never went into the copies made with hands. He went into heaven itself. He took his own blood into the heavens and he atoned for the sins of all his people once for all. Jesus has atoned for our sin. He is the sacrifice for your sin and the sin of all his people. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other covering. There is nothing else that can take away our sin. The blood of Jesus. Jesus alone has atoned for our sin. We can add nothing to his atonement to make it more effective. His blood and his grace is sufficient for all and for everything. We are cleansed to serve the living God. This is what the scripture teaches us. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus to serve the living God. The effectual atonement for our sin by the blood of Jesus must effectually move us to serve the living God. We are not cleansed to sit and wait. We are cleansed to go and serve. A lot of people are sitting and waiting. They were waiting for the trumpet to blow last weekend at the Feast of Trumpets. All the chatter on the internet. Of course, everybody knows you can't make a date because that makes you a false prophet. But, that, but there were people that did everything but name the date. And there were people fully expecting the trumpet to blow and, and the church to be vacated out of the earth. There's too many people in the church sitting and waiting to escape when we should be empowered to go and serve the living God. There is a world to save. There are nations to disciple. This is what Jesus told us to do, to go into all the earth and to make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. We're still looking to the temple, but it's not in Jerusalem. It's in heaven. And it's in our heart. It's Jesus who lives in us. Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we judge ourselves now in Christ, it's not that we pay for our sin. It's that we may be moved and motivated by the payment for our sin that Christ paid on our behalf. Now that we have been cleansed, we are free to serve the living God. We are free to enter his presence. In fact, we live in his presence as we live and move and have our being in Jesus. Our life should reflect the judgment for sin and the atoning blood of Christ that has cleansed us to serve the living God. It is our privilege and it is our pleasure to serve him. Or it should be. 
At the end of this section of scripture I just read to you, it says he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So picture this. Israel gathered there at the tabernacle. The priest goes in and they're waiting to see. He goes in with the blood to atone for the sin and they're waiting to see if he comes out and appears a second time apart from sin for salvation. For salvation because when he appears a second time, it is because God has accepted that sacrifice. This points to Christ's resurrection from the dead. How do we know that God the Father accepted the blood of the Son? Because Jesus is not in a tomb somewhere. Because Jesus is resurrected. Because Jesus walked on this earth for 40 days and was witnessed by over 500 people. And we have accounts of those witnesses of his resurrection. We know the Father accepted the atoning blood of the Son because Jesus is alive and he is not dead. More than that, he ascended to the right hand of majesty on high. And the kingdom has been given to him. And Jesus said to his disciples, and Jesus says to us today, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and serve the living God. Keep his commands. Obey his word. Well, you got to know that word to obey it, which is why we always point you every week to the Bible reading challenge because you read that word. You wash your mind with that word and God is putting something in you. Reading the Bible is not what you get out of the Bible as much as it is what the Bible is putting in you. And if you keep reading that word, you keep putting it in you, then there is something to withdraw in those times when God will do just that. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. This points to Christ's resurrection from the dead, and his resurrection points to his return. Those who do not eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, but it won't be for salvation, it will be for judgment and for wrath. For those in Christ eagerly awaiting him, he will appear a second time for salvation. Which means when we stand in his presence, we can have confidence by the blood of Jesus shed for us to cleanse us, to serve him, and to eternally dwell in his presence. In this, love has been perfected. That in the day of judgment, we have boldness because as he is so are we in this world 1 John 4:17 when we come to the table in the book of Corinthians in Paul's letter to the Corinthians and he's talking about the disorder surrounding the 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 supper of the Lord the love feast the agape feast and the table of the Lord and he makes this statement, Paul makes this statement concerning the table. He says, we do this. He quotes Jesus on the night that he was betrayed at that last supper when Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup. This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. And Paul says, we do this until he returns. The resurrection of Jesus speaks of the return of Jesus. Those who eagerly wait for him to appear a second time is not just his resurrection. It is his resurrection, but it is also his return. He is coming again. He is here among us. Now, the next feast on the calendar, the last feast, is tabernacles. 
And we will talk about tabernacles because I think it's worth talking about because that is the feast that celebrated God dwelling with his people. And there are some Christians who think God is a million miles away somewhere. What, what direction? You know, if we're, we're in North America, we're pointing up, but we're, you know, on the other side of the globe, there's China. So which way is up and which way is not? No. God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not a million miles away. He lives in us, and we live in him. He's greater than geography. He's not restricted by geography. He is the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God who has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. And that promise is sure. And we have the assurance of that promise because of what Jesus did. This is what we celebrate every week when we come to this table. We celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. The body broken and the blood poured out. The blood that has taken away, not temporarily covered our sin like the blood of animals did. But the blood of Jesus takes away eternally our sin. So if God has eternally removed your sin from him, then you leave it with him. and Stop living in the past. And live in the present, in the present joy and fullness of Jesus, who is with you, who will never leave you and never forsake you. As you trust in Jesus, come to this table and celebrate his body and his blood that has made a way where there was no way. Come to Jesus. Let's all stand. In your charge today, I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Verse 16 is the scripture I read to the children. Hebrews 4, 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's nothing we will ever bring to Jesus that he has not already been tempted with, that he cannot relate to. So in your charge today, we are charged, we are commanded by God to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need God's grace to help as a people and as a nation. We are charged and commanded to draw near to him in full assurance of faith, not because of our goodness, not because of our works, but because of Jesus and his blood, and his finished work. We are commanded to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We are commanded to consider one another, to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And now more than ever in our lifetimes, the church and our nation need the faithful witness of God's people 
We have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, go forth and faithfully serve the living God. Give witness to his glory and his grace. That you and those around you would find the hope that they need. The hope that is only found in Jesus. Amen.